spoil the movie by adding your own commentary. Hello and welcome to Sideflix, the podcast where we see what's in theater so you don't have to. My name is Christian Skillian. I'm Julia Pershing. And right from the get-go, it's good to remind you guys that this podcast is what we like to call spoilers only. And boy, are there spoilers. Well, I actually think there's only really one spoiler, and it really only affects the Dylan (laughs) O'Brien stan audience, who I know many of whom are listening to this specifically for that reason. So Mm -hmm. we'll get to it. You will be spoiled. Just as a heads up. Yeah. If you wanted to go see it before you heard anything about it. And the it we're talking about (laughs) is the outfit. The outfit. Yes, it was directed by Graham Moore. This is his first time directing anything, but he is very well known for having uh, won the Academy Award for writing The Imitation Game. The really interesting (laughs) thing about that is Uh there was a lot of conversation um, around that Academy Awards around what was going to get adapted screenplay. And I think... Even though The Imitation Game is very, very watchable, very much Oscar bait, I remember people being like, oh, that one? That that one? (laughs) Yeah. Well. Um, But it wasn't, it not because it was bad. Clearly, if you made, like, he made it to the Academy Awards, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? It was up in that category. But I certainly felt the elements of The Imitation Game in this, which was co-written by. Uh, By Graham Moore and Jonathan McLean. Yeah. So, really interesting. I wish I had known that going in because I kept on being like, this hmm. really reminds me of something I've definitely seen. Yeah, I have seen it. It's well, the invitation game. Everything is derivative these days. Um, yeah. I mean, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just everything informs everything. Well, I do sometimes mean it in a negative way. Not necessarily Not now. here. It was interesting to figure out that that is what I found so familiar about mm-hmm. it. Um, we started seeing some hype around this movie, like when the trailer first dropped, and then it kind of felt like we stopped hearing about it, and then it just went into theaters, and nobody told me. Like, I think mm-hmm. if I weren't on, like, Teen Wolf Twitter, which I have to be for the Rewolf, I might not have known. Maybe not, which is interesting, because I think most people who have seen it have really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's doing, I mean, like, obviously Rotten Tomatoes is, like, for anybody who doesn't know, Rotten, once you figure out how Rotten Tomato scores work, it's really strange. Rotten Tomatoes is the aggregate of positive to negative reviews. It is not how positive the reviews are. So if it has eighty-seven, rev- like if it has eighty-seven reviews that are like this movie was pretty okay, that's how you get your eighty-seven percent, which I think is what it's currently mm-hmm. sitting at. Yeah. Um, it seems like everybody who's seen it has been, I think. Pleasantly surprised. To be honest, I was not expecting to enjoy it as much as I did. I had an inkling, mostly because I really love movies like this, and I remember seeing the trailer and thinking, this is going to be delicious. Um, Some parts were delicious. Other parts, I was like, this could have, this had the potential to be delicious. I feel like this movie had a very high ceiling, mm-hmm. and there were things that kept it away from it, like technical challenges that I thought were really interesting. For example, this movie is a bottle movie. The entire thing takes place in like three rooms. In three rooms, it takes place in a haberdashery on the south side of Chicago in 1956. I think I'm you correct. got it. Mm-hmm. Um, we love a Chicago movie. <laughs> we live in Chicago. We sure do. Um, and so the the confining the confined nature of the story. There were elements where I was like. I think this is sort of not quite breaking the plastic seal on top. Like, things that I can see where it's coming from because I can see through it, but it hasn't quite reached its ceiling. But then there were other parts that I thought were really, really good. So, Julia, why don't you you start in with what you really liked about this movie? 
which you were in, you love like gangster movies I really and I do. don't dislike them but you were set up to like this more than me I really was and I think part of what makes this so watchable is everybody is giving it their all um on the acting front and uh. <laughs> that is not to say that everybody's all is particularly is great okay there but- were some things where I was like that was yeah. This is a weird choice. But it's nice because the last time that I saw Mark Rylance in anything, it was uh, Don't Look Up, where he was playing just an incredibly odd little man. A Jeff Bezos meets Steve Jobs type. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is unnerving, to say the least. And, you know, in this movie, he's playing this mild-mannered Englishman, which he is, um, but all the while having to kind of hint to the audience that there is something else ticking away in his mind. And I think he does that very effectively. That is another thing that gave me sort of big imitation game vibes. Obviously, Alan Turing, who the imitation game is based on, um, mm-hmm. was... I I don't think I can, like, retroactively be like, this man was autistic, but did was socially um, slightly inept. Mm-hmm. And so he's very sort of one note throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And if there was anything I could have asked of Mark Rylance was I wish that they had given him more to do because he can really serve when he's given that stuff. And it's not that I didn't find him good. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit like watching um, a sort of like detective whodunit where your main detective character is the person who doesn't change at all. And mm-hmm. that can make it slightly boring. Like if you're watching like Knives Out, if you're watching <laughs> um, whatever, like any kind of the sort of fulcrum of the movie is this one guy Mm -hmm. and they don't often go through the character changes and things that we're seeing from the other people. And that is like, I wanted to see him waver once. I wanted to Mm -hmm. see, I wanted to see the veil slip. And when you have somebody who is as fun to watch as Mark Rylance, I was like, let him do it. Let him do it. It's interesting that you bring up Knives Out because I feel like that's one of the more direct comparisons you can make because it's another whodunit, one of the other major whodunits in the last couple of years that was incredibly successful. And we talked about this when we talked about Death on the Nile, a movie Mm -hmm. I cannot believe we paid money to see. It It was was so unwatchable. Unwatchable. And then (laughs) Kenneth Branagh was like, here's my Oscar. (laughs) Oh, it just, it dampens the effect a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really, really liked Johnny Flynn's performance as Frankie, who is the unhinged right-hand man of the mob boss's son. Yeah. So we, the the person who we see him in sort of conversation with most besides Mark Rylance is Richie, who is Dylan O'Brien's character. And he's clearly the guy who is more cut out for this business, for this life. Richie was born into it. He's like the legacy of his, you know, mob boss dad. It's very clearly supposed to be like the Irish mob versus like the black mob. The, the French mob? The French mob, yes. Um, I guess. Was there a French mob? I did not go looking up the historical accuracy of that. Yeah, you know, I live in Chicago, <laughs> but I don't live here. You know what I'm mm-hmm, saying? True. Like, I live here, but oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. People will be like, oh, and don't you know that this happened? And I'm like. I do now. Thanks for telling me. <laughs> Chicago is very in, a very internal city you it, know it I is. think that a lot of Chicagoans would watch this and be like well we didn't even get to see the rest of Chicago yeah the movie had a 14 million dollar budget they they couldn't afford the rest of Chicago teeny weeny and all of the filming was done in London that makes sense mm-hmm Interesting. Yeah. Fun fact. Well, a lot of times when people do the filming, especially old New York and old and old Chicago, just because now there's so many modern builds alongside some mm-hmm. of our, like, I think the sort of more, the way that you can kind of get away with it in um, 
London a little bit more is you can have you have all these full streets of mm-hmm. uh, not that you see a lot of the streets in this movie because it is just in the one room, but I, I'm thinking about other movies that are like set in New York but filmed in London because you have these whole streets of these very old looking buildings. But if you're in Chicago, it's like old building, old building, the old building, ugliest the new building ugliest you've seen new build ever. you have ever seen in your entire life that only technically meets like the building codes for that street, old building, old building. And then out. another like, <laughs> horrifically ugly, ugly new building. building. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, that's interesting to me that they filmed it. Obviously, it's got a very, it's got a British creative team. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was almost certainly just filmed on a soundstage. I also just assume so, it was cheaper to film mm-hmm. in, in London. Probably. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that is interesting. Um, like, you know, the first Captain America, all the Brooklyn stuff is filmed in London. I did not know that, but yeah. now I do. Yeah, but that makes sense, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Totally. Um, where the hell were we? We were talking about Johnny Flynn. Oh, he was really good. He was great. Um, I thought he. I think that they. One thing that I kind of wished is that they're, especially this stuff with Richie. Obviously, Richie is trying to put on the airs of what Johnny can actually provide for his family. Mm-hmm. I wish we had seen slightly more tension for that before Richie, spoiler, is killed by Johnny. Shot in the neck. Yeah. So no coming back from that. Yeah. So I I felt both their performances were good, but I needed more variation in their performances to really sort of understand that dynamic. Um, I thought Zoe Dutch was slightly forgettable. I think that a lot has to do with the script. And honestly, Mm -hmm. if you've seen The Imitation Game, you know that Keira Knightley is the only female character in the movie and is given similarly little to work with. I think that that is the great problem when you only have one or two women Mm -hmm. in your movie. And particularly because the other woman in this movie, um, who is the head of the other crime family, is only in it for about 15 minutes. Yeah. So she doesn't get a lot to do either. And weirdly enough, that brings me to my biggest complaint about this movie. And I cannot believe that I'm saying this, but it could have been 20 minutes longer. I, well, I think that the story it was trying to tell does not fit in its 90 minute mark. And I think the big reason as to why it feels like that is because it has a double ending, both of which I did not like. Yeah. I think that I would have felt a more like emotionally satisfactory payoff um, with all of the reveals, if I knew more about Leonard, Mark Rylance's character, and if I knew more about Mabel, because pretty much like at the beginning of the film, they're dropping that her father was not part of the mob, but did jobs for the mob. And she has really negative feelings towards them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we never really know the truth as to why Leonard left Savile Row to yeah. come to Chicago. And it does a decent job of dropping those bits and pieces throughout the movie, but it's not quite enough to give me what I really wanted to know about them. Well, it didn't, it wasn't, I think it's not even that. It wasn't even enough to make me really be like, oh, I want to know more. Mm-hmm. Because the hints it, dropped, it, it was dropping wasn't very good. I mean, just for um, a clarification standpoint on story here mm-hmm. is, uh, so... Leonard, Mark Rylance's character, owns a haberdashery. He has a secretary named Mabel who assists him and is also kind of getting close with the mob boss's son, and the mob uses the haberdashery as a drop-off point for money. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is revealed that there is a rat who is selling information on the mob, on this particular family, and they're trying to figure out who it is. It is so obvious from the beginning that it is Mabel. It's not even funny. You don't no. even for a second think it's Leonard. 
You don't think it's Richie. You don't think it is anybody. I That is one of the problems with it, how small of a cast it was, too. No, I think the small cast would be really good if... No, I actually think a whodunit is better with a smaller cast mm. because the the sort of unraveling of those things, the nitty-gritty, the minutiae, is so much more um, fascinating to investigate because you have to be looking for smaller and smaller clues. But because it's so clear at the beginning, you're like, mm, whatever. It's so clear at the beginning, and then she doesn't have much else to do during the movie. No. And they don't give us enough to suspect the other characters. Yeah. In, there's even sort of a scene where Richie is, after Richie has come in from being shot with a shootout with the LaFontaines, the rival mob family, um, he's sitting with... Uh, Leonard. Leonard, who they all call English, which I think was cute. Mm-hmm. Um, and Leonard's like, I'm the rat. And they both laugh about it. And then as the audience, you're like... I'm sure that was supposed to tip me off that I'm supposed to be thinking that Leonard is the rat, but no. No. I don't. I don't at all. It was just very clearly a joke. Yeah. Um, so, and then to have everything at the end have been this whole setup that has been entirely orchestrated by Leonard, you're like, I don't really want a Superman in this situation. Like, him sort of being this, like, mob savant who can just immediately dismantle these things as they start coming into his shop, I was like... Yeah, that's not particularly... I Well, okay. To, uh, in the end, I think this movie was too clean. There wasn't mm-hmm. enough actual human error that had to be dealt with. Because everything was calculated. And the way that they tried, I think, to help us understand how and why Leonard does all of those things is by giving him a little monologue where he basically says that uh, he was in a mob in London and it destroyed his life. Mm-hmm. Um but it comes, that reveal comes at the end. It doesn't feel totally earned. No. And I don't know that it adds anything. No. I would have, I would have liked if he'd had a different motive. I don't know. Well, I also think like the idea is that everybody in the movie dies besides Leonard and Mabel. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to think the good guys got off scot-free. Okay. He's not really a good guy, but we'll buy that for this. When you come to find that because of his past, he's set up this whole situation with the understanding that Richie and Frankie and the entire, what's their last name? The Boyle family. Boyle family mm-hmm. is going to die and the LaFontaines are similarly going to be punished, killed, or arrested. I, you, one, completely do not understand like how your audience values human life because the entire time your audience is sitting there being like, there is a body in the trunk. And it doesn't seem like anybody else cares because this is all part of Leonard's plan. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't seem like good craftsmanship on Leonard's part to me. That seems like, well, if we shove a body in the trunk, the audience will stop thinking about it. But every time there's a body in a room <laughs> where people are, I am forced to remember that when people die, they expel their bowels. And mm-hmm. anybody would know that body <laughs> was in that trunk by smell alone. <laughs> There is a moment in this movie when Frankie is trying to mop up Richie's blood with a silk handkerchief. And he does it somehow. And he does it somehow. And I was literally sitting there the entire time thinking to myself, there is muslin in this shop. There is another more abs- like absorbent fabric and I, that is not a silk handkerchief. I get that they're trying to ask me to suspend my disbelief, but what I think that they don't operate on is allowing the characters to dispend their disbelief. Mm-hmm. Do a bad job mopping up the blood because you only have this many seconds. And when what's his name? The What's the dad's name? D- Mr. Boyle. When Mr. Boyle 
walks in and he's like, where did all this blood come from? You are, he already knows that Richie's been shot. You have mm-hmm. an explanation. Yeah, totally. See, and of course he doesn't want to believe his son is dead. And I think that that was actually one of the most compelling parts of the movie is just how much he wanted his son to be alive, that he doesn't even for a second really consider that he might be dead mm-hmm. or still on the premises play into that like it didn't feel too overly concerned with investigating the emotional response to this incredibly heightened situation so much as it did fascinate itself with its own cleverness in this massive scheme that Leonard has pulled off focused on the wrong things yeah I think is the way to sum that up let's talk about some of the things we like I feel like (laughs) I just spent like 15 minutes dumping costume design Gorgeous. Incroyable. Absolutely beautiful. Um, it, this is not listed anywhere on the Wikipedia page. I read it in a review that uh, Zach Posen, noted fashion designer and also Project Runway host, um, designed the costumes for this. And wow, he did a good job. It looked so good. And there was a lot of stuff that I thought was like, like some of the visual signals given by the costuming was really incredible. So like Dylan O'Brien's character, Richie, is wearing this giant camel like um duster like a mm-hmm. really long coat it's clearly very heavily padded in the shoulders and it gives him this air of being much bigger than the other people in the room including frankie he sort of towers over mark rylance he towers over mm-hmm. zoe dutch and once he comes in and he's been shot they remove the coat and his stature diminishes so, so dramatically dra- drastically mm-hmm. and it like really is sort of like yeah he's trying to fill the role of his father he's not really the right person to do this so some of the costuming stuff was really really good obviously because it is in part a movie about fashion mm-hmm. um but some of those cues were really really good I really appreciated that this movie took place in the winter because I love outerwear. I also like when movies mm-hmm. have seasons. You ever see a movie mm-hmm. where you're like, what time of year is this? This sucks. It is no time. This is very specifically December in Chicago. It is on all, always fall in New York, apparently. It's always fall in New what York. I think. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> and it is always winter in Chicago. Yeah. I loved the outerwear. I loved seeing Zoe Dutch's little work outfits. And then when she gets pulled in in the middle of the night, she's wearing these little like leggings and um, like a checkered jacket. Yeah, it was a gingham. Yeah, Um, which is fun because it's, you know, it's 1956. It's not quite like the 60s yet, but it's more like it's indicative of how Mabel wants to get out and go to Paris. It looks very modern. Um, I think a lot of times in movies men's fashion gets overlooked and you know obviously Leonard makes suits if the suits look bad I would have walked out um but everybody looks impeccable Mm -hmm. even the big bodyguard yeah is wearing this fabulous coat I agree I also think that there's a very distinct difference in the fashion between the LaFontaine's and the Boyles so when the LaFontaine's walk in the leader does she have a name given? Violet, according Violet. to the I don't think Wikipedia she's given article. the name in, in, the, in the film. She's not named in film. But the leader of the LaFontaine's, Violet LaFontaine, is wearing a very ornate fur hat. Mm-hmm. And this beautiful, she's wearing blue. I think she's wearing like a blue dress. And she, they clearly are dressing far more flashy than the LaFontaine's. It's, it's like something that they value. But she also has like this acknowledgement of how well constructed all of uh, Leonard's suits are and he, mm-hmm. she asks do you make women's clothes and he says no mm-hmm. and she says that that's a real pity mm-hmm. and it's sort of interesting that like we have both of these sort of um, 
style patterns from both of these families, but at their core, what they value is um, like craft mm-hmm. and precision. And I thought that like that added commentary was really interesting. She looks beautiful. Gorgeous. I loved that she was wearing blue because that's a big contrast from like the very muted tones that the boils wear. It's mostly cream um, or like a dark brown. So she's got that little flair, which is lovely. Um, And also, I mean, like Leonard talks a lot about the fact that he was trained on Savile Row Mm -hmm. and he's not a tailor. He's a cutter. Yeah. Which I don't know. That was very funny to hear to me. Um, cause I just, it seems like a joke, but I know it's not. I know it's an actual description. Well, I think that like when I think what he says, Cutter, I think Draper. Mm-hmm. Like I Perhaps. think I just have a different word in my brain for what he means he is. Yeah. It just sounded off. Yeah. Um, but you know, he is very proud mm-hmm. of where he comes from and the skills that he has. And you know, part of like build building a family is like building respect in the community mm-hmm. and you have to be well dressed yeah. in order to do that. I also think another sort of demonstration of his skill is at the beginning of the movie he talks about how there are people who dress down so as not to be noticed, which is the Boyle family, and people mm-hmm. who dress up to be noticed. And it's very clear that the La Fontaine Boyle shift is like a um demonstration of like the rising and falling of mob families it's also particularly interesting that we have a black family who's clearly coming into bigger power Mm -hmm. on the south side of chicago which is a thing that literally happened Mm -hmm. um like there is very much like an irish part of the south side of chicago uh still now Mm -hmm. um and sometimes you'll meet people and people try to describe them to you and people will say like oh they're irish south side i know exactly what that means yeah um, so I think that that was really interesting. A really great way to tie in sort of the to tie in the point of view of Leonard to the audience. So the costuming, incredible, gorgeous. I also think set deck, everything about, especially since like the front of the store is very sort of. Um, it's meant to not draw attention very much. Clearly, if you have that much mob activity going on, you're not going to have really ornate window dressings. And then the back of the store is clearly a workshop. But the middle room where he dresses his clients mm-hmm. is incredibly ornate and beautiful. And it's full of like, these dark, rich woods. And these, you know, tufted leather chairs that are just It is so very much meant to be a place where people come to have an experience in addition to, like, getting their clothes. Mm -hmm. It's it's like when you go to department stores and their bathrooms are really nice. Yeah. Like, it's it's an elevated part of the experience. Like a a lit mirror. You're like, Mm -hmm. oh my god, they want me to feel good about being here. There's a little settee. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike when you're in the dressing room at TJ Maxx and you're like, I can see every bit of cellulite on my whole body. We have to leave right now. I am actually just a raccoon. Yeah. I do not occupy a corporeal (laughs) form, which... Obviously, there's nothing wrong with cellulite, but society tells you there is, and the mirrors at TJ Maxx tell you it's worse than you think. Louder. Yeah. 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 But I don't know. I I have always um, been told that like the way to get your clothes off the rack to fit the way you want is to go to a tailor. Mm-hmm. And if that was my tailor, I'd go all the time. I know. I get my clothes professionally done always. I don't get my clothes tailored. I just... Wear you a, just suffer. Well, I just have to buy all my pants a size up and wear a belt. Mm-hmm. But is that a bad thing? I have a big no. butt. Who's complaining about that? And now you're the belt girl. I They are really part of my 
They're very fun. What do you feel like is your calling card? Oh, I don't know, actually. I feel like I'm developing that still. I feel like collars. You love a collar. I do love a collar. They are, they make a statement. Yeah. Yeah. I make my statement with my hideously ugly cowboy belt, but I'm not mm-hmm. getting rid of them. They're who I am. They're fun. They are fun. Um, so costuming, set deck, really beautiful. I loved the element of the um, of the snow globes that mm-hmm. uh, Mabel's been collecting from both the La- from the La Fontaines and f- like money from the FBI, mm-hmm. which we love a girl boss. <laughs> um. Yeah, Gaslight she's gatekeep girl boss. She's she killing it. Financed her whole life in Paris by she collaborating did. with the FBI. I don't know. I get it. Actually, she financed her life in Paris by collaborating with a different mob. That's true. That all that money came from the La Fontaines. Um, yeah. So I think there was really interesting details. You said something about how this needed to be a Christmas movie. It was if it was going to be in December. Mm-hmm. There was a small tinsel tree on her desk. I noticed that too. But they needed garlands in the windows. Like, I needed to be made very specific. Also, especially when people die and there's family stuff going on. It is the best time to bring up Christmas because you know I think that Christmas is a severely haunted holiday. I do know this about you, and I think that there um, is room within the Christmas movie canon for a mob whodunit. Um, I... You know, and especially because I didn't think that the score of this film was particularly notable. That's funny because I thought it was really good. Interesting. Like, I thought it was it was appropriate and, like, it worked well. But I would have loved kind of, like, a little whimsical Christmas stuff happening. Yeah, I would like that, too. I think what I liked is that the score was far more gentle than the proceedings of the movie. And I thought that that was offset in a way that felt intended to make you think about it as opposed to being like, this is tonally off. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also just like the kind of disconnect of all of this happening within like a, a tailor's shop yes. where like beautiful things are made and, and everything and, is being destroyed. And beautiful things are destroyed. Mm-hmm. Speaking of beautiful things being destroyed, shall we chitty chat? I mean, I just know like I, I obviously <laughs> want to talk about him anyway, even though he's not a remarkably big part of this movie. Mm-hmm. Although I thought that he was a bigger part of it, to be honest. I thought he was going to be a very small part. And then it started and I was like, oh, he's a main character. And, and then, and then he gets killed very mm-hmm. quickly. But I know a lot of people are listening to hear us talk about Dylan O'Brien. Um, this is, <laughs> I, okay. This is going to sound, this is going to sound really shitty. I swear to God, I don't mean this this way. I did not expect him to impress me this much. Primarily because the work I see of Dylan O'Brien is very young adult focused. It's very mm-hmm. teenagery, um, a lot of Teen Wolf. We reviewed Love and Monsters, and at first to see him on screen, I was. N- I said to you before we started recording, I because I don't have a better word for this. Slightly embarrassed, not in the way where I was like, "Oh, this is cringy." Obviously not. I love and support him, um, but in the way where it's like, I am an actor. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I watch my friends on stage or in things, I have a couple minutes where I have to be like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a person I know doing this thing. And I know that other actors feel this way, too, where you have to slightly get past the fact that you're like, that's my friend. Well, um, for example, I just saw my friend Sam in a show at The Goodman, mm-hmm. and I was kind of laughing to myself. And then I obviously gave him a standing O when he came up for his bow. bow and the women next to me were like, oh, is he your friend? And I got to be like, yes. <laughs> but when I first saw him, I would not have no. said that. <laughs> So I had that, mm-hmm. and it's obviously like you want him to be so good. And then when he started sort of easing more into the role, as you started seeing him as like 
again, he comes out sort of guns blazing cocky. You see sort of just how immature he, he his character is. I was delighted. It was fun to watch him. Um, and I was impressed and really happy to see him take a step away from the roles I think he's known for. Totally. I had kind of a similar reaction to you when I saw him for the first time because he appears in silhouette before he for steps the record, into the no light. For no parasocial, I do not think that Dylan O'Brien is my friend. <laughs> no, but like we feel like we have watched so much of his work. Yeah. Because we have. Um, that we have watched Teen Wolf. <laughs> we have watched Teen Wolf and we watched Love and Monsters. And um, I've seen the first Maze Runner. I, but I also, like, we've watched Team Wolf twice, you That's know, true. and we talked about it really in, in, in depth. depth. Um, and when he shows up, like, in silhouette the first time, I'm like, I would know that profile. That knows. Anywhere. <laughs> anywhere. And I was just like, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready for him to walk on and do what he's about to do. And especially because the trailer for this movie is sort of, like, oblique. Nobody really talks. It's kind of just, like, cut together with music. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no idea what to expect. And he's so bratty, and he is really leaning into the accent, and... The accents were all, all over, the place. over the place. Oh, my gosh. And, but you know what? There is something about this movie where I'm like, these people were committed to doing that, and I respect it. That's fair. I mean, there is a very specific Chicago, like, gangstery uh, accent, and the Chicago accent has evolved a lot since the days of Al Capone. Mm-hmm. Um but because there's not a lot of modern recollection of that accent, a lot of times when people do the Chicago mob stuff, and partially this is because of the Irish influence, like accents in these states are influenced by the immigrants who settled in those communities, which mm-hmm. is why people in the North send, tend to sound a different way compared to the people in the South. And Chicago has a massive Irish influence. New York has a massive Irish influence. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the accents, I was like, mm, New York, mm, Chicago, <laughs> yeah. New York. Mm, you went New York. Mm, that's Brooklyn. <laughs> I actually thought, I thought the best accent was uh, from the guy who plays Roy Beale, the dad. Um, oh, yeah. Because there was something so subtle about his accent because you could hear the Irish in there. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a whisper. I don't think it's I was paying whisper. close enough attention. I'm more, I'm less focused. It's like. You know, most things in movies, it's if it's good, you're not supposed to notice mm-hmm. it. And then when it's bad, you're like, hmm. Well, because the whole time I had been trying to figure out, like, what ethnicity the, like, this family was supposed to be. Because I did not hear the Boyle name at first. Oh, okay. Which would have really tipped you off. Yeah. But I couldn't figure it out. And then he did that. But Dylan O'Brien is clearly just having such a fantastic time performing it, in this. That's sort Like, honestly, I think a huge thing about watching Dylan O'Brien, and he said something along these lines in an interview recently where like the thing he really brings is a joie de vivre. Mm-hmm, totally. And that is, I think what draws other actors and directors to him because he is just a joy to work with uh, a pleasure to have in class. Really? Yeah, truly. And you know, honestly seeing this and knowing those other things that he is coming up this year, it makes so much more sense that he said no to doing the Teen Wolf movie because he's mm-hmm. clearly pursuing avenues he's far more interested in and that challenge him in a far more significant way. So I'm, I'm all about seeing him in more things. Totally. And I I liked his turn and in this so, movie. <laughs> so long as so long as I exist, I will have to be podcasting about his things. Well, he'll be platinum blonde in the next movie he's in with Zoe Dutch. So very sexy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I signed my soul to the devil, but the devil is still on O'Brien's agent. <laughs> I Make some good choices. Lately. I wonder if he's repped by we can look that up. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I knew that we'd have to, to to chitty chat about him. Let's also let's let's sort of dig into a little bit more about um uh, 
about um, Richie's death. So it is made clear to Frankie, to uh, to the audience, that Frankie views himself as far more important to the Boyle family. He took six bullets for the Roy, Bo- Roy, Roy, Roy Boyle. Boyle. Um, and after there is a confrontation about whether or not Frankie is the rat or Richie is the rat, obviously it's neither of them because I watched the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Frankie kills Richie. And what's really interesting to me is that Frankie is so narcissistic <laughs> and so sure of his own talents that he thinks that Roy will not care about the whereabouts of his own son. That scene... Okay, so I had to get up and step out for a minute during that scene, and I was like, "Like Richie's going to shoot Frankie, and that's going to be the problem because he's impulsive. I got it. It's fine. I'll come back, and that'll be what happened. By the time I got back, no one had shot anyone. That scene and was then, too long. I have, a, I have a thought on pacing. We'll get there in a second. But no one had shot anyone, and then when the shooting did happen, it was Richie who died, which I kind of didn't expect. Oh, I did. Because he is the problem causer. Um, but I, but that meant more Frankie. Um, so I liked that. I liked Frankie. Um, yeah, I just think I won at one. I think this movie does not deserve its R rating. No. It used its R rating to let Dylan O'Brien say the fuck word as many times as he wanted, which honestly, after six years on an MTV show, let him say it however many times he wants. And his character getting shot in the gut. Yeah. Go right ahead. Also, sometimes though, when somebody's like, oh, fuck, I'm hurt. Oh, fuck, fuck, fuck. I'm like, I like, I know that when I'm complaining, I get creative. <laughs> it's like comforting. Yeah. You know, like when people stick I, their hand in an ice bucket and they say the fuck word, they can keep it in there longer. Yeah. I'm just saying like it, uh, that was where the R rating went and where I really wanted it was some of the body horror. I, like we see, we know that he gets shot in the neck intellectually and I don't really want to see Dylan O'Brien with his brains blown out that would be a bit much but there's not even a trail of blood that gets left when they carry the body and we see blood seep out of the bottom of but not even enough but not really enough just I think this goes back a little bit to what I was saying earlier about how this movie doesn't really investigate the problems it brings yeah consequences Mm -hmm. it brings up as often as i think it should i agree but prior to richie getting shot um leonard does a little bit of surgery on him to sew him up to keep uh him from bleeding out from the shot to the side that he got and we only get like one singular glimpse of that bullet hole and it should have been disgusting and messy and we should have seen more of it if you're going to give it an r rating um yeah because you know he's acting up a storm of like oh my god it's so awful but I want to see that you know and there's a lot of other stuff where I was like you wrapped a a movie that feels like it was sanitized a little bit in this story like Mm -hmm. we know that he's he's sleeping with um Mabel we know that all these other things are happening. We hear that there's bad crime happening and bad jobs, but we're not getting any specifics. When you sort of ignore the specificity of why Leonard would really want to get back at these people, you lose me. But that is where I think they could have used an extra 10, 15 minutes. I agree. Is setting that up. 
because I would love to read the screenplay in its original draft totally. because I'm, it's definitely longer. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, to know it was on the cutting room floor. And but honestly, if you're only walking away with nine with a with ninety minutes of material, like a hundred minutes of material, that makes me think that it wasn't all that important to the original draft of that screenplay. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because when it feels like something is missing. That it is important. Yeah. There's random stuff like that in the imitation game as well. Like there is like they find out uh, that there is a rat amongst their ranks in the small team of people who are working with Alan Turing. Not to, a like, rat. Sorry, a mole. <laughs> um, and it gets revealed that he's giving information to the Soviets and, and it, it comes up once <laughs> and then like never again. And you're like, hold on. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Yeah. That dude caused the back. Cold War. Get back here. The, well, and it's also I mean very telling as to like what the movie is interested in which does not always align with what I'm interested in let's talk about pacing one mm-hmm. the elements of this movie that felt like a play to me mm-hmm. very sexy very I love a movie you that know, feels like a play I love people sitting around talking in mm-hmm. a room but there is an extent to which uh, okay hear me out as far as like this genre, like the, the genre of theater goes, it mm-hmm. is of a, a more auditor, auditory genre than visu- than visual. Mm-hmm. There is an element to which film is far more visual than a, a play. Mm-hmm. So if I'm sitting here watching two people talking in a room, and I'm not in the environment of being like that is what I'm hanging on because this is a conversation between two people and lives are made and ended over cups of tea, et cetera, et cetera. I do need slightly more visual interest. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of scenes that went on for a very long time, which I was sitting there being like, I'm compelled. I like the acting. I loved that scene between Mark Rylance and and Dylan O'Brien as they're sitting in the chairs. Yeah. But that was one of many scenes that were like that. And eventually I need something else that's going to break me out of this because it disrupts the way a movie flows. You know, because plays are often plays are done in scenes or French scenes or whatever. Mm -hmm. Whereas... I okay there the scene where you know Mark Rylance and Dylan O'Brien are sitting and talking love that the scene where Mark Rylance and uh, Roy Boyle are sitting and talking love that but I think that once Richie is dead the movie needed to move way quicker yes because that is the catalyst for everything falling apart Mm -hmm. and I feel like a lot of the reveals uh would have hit better if it were at a faster pace because Richie dying things are supposed to feel like they're spinning out of control and he's and Leonard's trying to get it back yeah and I didn't feel that again I was sitting there being like why does nobody know there's a body in the room Mm -hmm. do you think that I'm gonna forget and that I think is actually that's a really good point I think that's where that um disconnect comes in and you're right after like I actually think you could hold out you could probably hold out the Richie death until two-thirds of the way through the movie and the last third of the movie is bang, 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 mm-hmm. bang, 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 bang. And because it's the last half of the movie that's like bang, 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 mm-hmm. you lose me. And again, I think that that comes with a, la- a lack of specificity and it comes with a lack of interest in the human aspect of uh, the human experience of dealing with the things that are happening. Mm-hmm. It's weird because, you know, Mabel obviously wants to get back at these people and doesn't like the mob, but she has been having this like put on relationship with Richie. We don't even get to really understand how she feels when he dies. Again, Mabel is very poorly handled as a character. 
Mm-hmm. Writers are like, I don't know. What do women care about? Snow globes? <laughs> okay. Her little jacket? But I would really, really like a moment between Mabel and Leonard after that death where she's starting to be like, even if she doesn't even have to be like, well, you know, I actually started to like him. She could have been like, well, I didn't think he'd freaking die. Mm-hmm. Like well, a sort because, of, because she would a- internalize a little bit of that guilt, right? I think she would. I don't know. We don't get, I mean, honestly, this is just because we don't really know much about Mabel because she seems to be terribly satisfied with how the things went down. But based on the fact that she's like selling information to the LaFontaines and also like kind of corroborating with the FBI, I don't know how she thought it was going to play out violence wise because there's ways to depose families like that without like murdering Richie. Yeah. And I, I would have loved to know like, what she thought was going to happen. Yeah. Because I have no clue. We get none of her internal life other than she really wants to get out of Chicago. Which is hilarious because I don't well, know. No, I, it's really funny just given the time and place that this is happening in because in the mid-century of the United States, uh, it didn't just feel like New York and L.A. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of things that like Detroit was like, a booming happening. city. Chicago was booming. Buffalo, Philly. Buffalo really was booming. Yeah, weird. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Gary, Indiana was this bustling place. So there true. was like a lot of boom towns. And like Chicago was not the end of the world to be in. So that already feels slightly odd. It really, well, like Mark Rylance, Leonard comes to Chicago for a reason. He could have gone to any of the other major cities. Yeah. I feel like that's ignored. Yeah. And so her like, I got to get out of here. I mean, I feel like you just got to get out of that neighborhood. Chicago is different literally no matter what neighborhood you're in. We our neighborhood is leaps and bounds different from the one that is just immediately west of us. Uh, for the better, I think. Mm, um they wouldn't think that. That's very true. Yeah, well that's one of the things uh, that's great about Chicago is that it's all different. Yeah. I, but again, if if you're a sort of the intrigue of your female character is that she's not satisfied with life. What? That, but like, why? Yeah. Why? That's just the male imposition that like women aren't satisfied she with anything. Like wants- that felt very boring to me. It is like the two things that this guy knows about women. They love Paris and they have daddy issues. Boring. I don't care about that. I don't have daddy issues, and I thought that Paris was not my favorite European city. Hee hee ha Hard agree. It was fine. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. But it's not, you know, top of my list. No. And that's okay. It doesn't have to be. Barcelona is wonderful. Rome, gorgeous. What if she wanted to go to Rome? Would that have changed my opinion? I need to go to a different part of France. I really want to go to the south of France. I feel like you'd fit in there. I mean that positively. Okay, thank so, you. Yeah, I feel like you'd have a good time. No, there. they eat. Oh, here's my here's my problem with with the Mediterranean, the parts of Europe that touch the Mediterranean. I thought you were gonna say with the French, but go no, on. Uh, I can't eat any other food. The shellfish. I know. Yeah. Tragique. Oui, c'est tr- c'est très triste. Oh mon oh, dieu. Oh no. Um. Anyway, yeah. I I feel again like the pacing could have been remedied by an investigation into the internal lives of our characters and like that developing that specificity because if I feel that Leonard or Mabel or Richie or Frankie is anxious it will improve my experience because I can experience this vicariously Mm -hmm. that was yeah just a, a couple of my I feel like we spent the entire time shitting on this movie I really did enjoy it there was just it has a very high ceiling that it didn't reach. That's where mm-hmm. I'm at. Um, Julia, we're reaching the end of this discussion. Sure. What do you rate this movie? 
I would give it an A minus because you know what? Sometimes movies can just be fun and I had fun. When you sit down to analyze it, it breaks apart a little bit, but I had a great time. I don't know. I You are making a face like you disagree. I'm giving it a B. It's a B movie. A, one, mm-hmm. for an April release. Very yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Congratulations on this good spring release. Because a lot of the stuff that we're about to see in theaters for the next little bit until the big summer blockbusters start is going to be... Mm. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe we should start grading on a curve. No, I don't think I'm we at. should. <laughs> I don't think we should because people grade superhero movies on a curve. And that's why people think that Spider-Man deserves to be best picture. No, but you know what? No. I would so much rather watch many, many movies like this movie mm-hmm. than the the superhero movies we're inundated with. That's yes. So, yeah, you're right. This was great. I had a great time. I had a lot of fun. Honestly, I the reason why it gets a B is because it, it didn't reach its A ceiling. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. But yeah, if you want to see Dylan O'Brien do something fun, Mark Rylance is always fun. He's in a couple things. Well, he's in Don't Look Up. If mm-hmm. you want to watch Don't Look Up, it's basically like somebody on TikTok called it a two hour long SNL sketch, which I cannot disagree with. I, it's literally I, so fine. I did not like it. Didn't love it. It's on Netflix. But he's also in another movie with Joel Egerton and mm-hmm. Marion Cotillard that's coming out 2023 i don't know that That is so far from now that deadline article dropped and people were like this thing's gonna be really good you know marion cotard hasn't been in the movie in a while we all love sebastian stan and then i never heard anything (laughs) else about that that movie maybe it'll be an outfit situation maybe um but more importantly dylan ryan has fun things coming up follow him we all like him and i liked i liked seeing him liked seeing him um if you guys liked this episode of side flicks uh want to hear us talk about dylan o'brien more you can listen to our teen wolf podcast follow that podcast on twitter at teen wolf underscore rewolf which is spelled how it sounds um, promise yeah and uh we also have our main podcast this is incidentally our side podcast side flicks our main podcast is about shows that only had one season it's called one season wonders we're about to finish firefly and move on to newer and possibly greener possibly greener pastures um, that is at OSW underscore pod on Twitter and all other platforms, but you can listen to either of those on anywhere you find podcasts. Um, subscribe to SideFlix. You guys can support us financially on coffee. If you buy us a coffee, you get to pick, if you buy us our tickets for a movie, you get to pick what we see. Uh, so that's ko-fi.com forward slash Skillion Pershing Productions. You do not have to worry about how to, how to spell Skillion. You can just click that in the bios of any of our socials. Other than that, I think we'll have fun things coming down the pipe soon. We're going to see a secret movie this Saturday. Maybe we'll discuss it if we feel like it's worth if we feel like it is worth the discussion, if not, you will hear from us very soon. Other than that, I have been Christian. I've been Julia. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next time we go to the movies. Bye. Bye.